Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecki is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Gwilda Wiecki's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Science of Magic or endorsed in any manner by Gwilda Wiecki, Relmar McConnell Media Company, its affiliated networks, stations, or employees. Welcome to the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, a program dedicated to uncovering the unified nature of reality and humanity's ever-evolving place as truly galactic beings. For more information on the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, visit us online at www.thescienceofmagic.net. Hello once again, dear friends, and welcome to the Science of Magic, where we combine the science and magic of today's leading topics to co-create new solutions. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring ancestral knowledge. The great spiritual dilemma of our time is the question, who has the right to participate in Earth-based practices? There's much talk of ceremonial appropriation in First Nations. Is our right to connect with the earth as individuals, dependent upon whose ancestors dominated and whose were overrun, skin color, and which piece of global real estate we happen to be born on? Who really are the First Nations? The Neanderthals were present long before those we currently view as indigenous people. What were their practices? We don't want to step on any toes here. Yet there is an unfortunate modern practice of appropriating indigenous ceremony without permission or proper training. As evidenced by self-help guru James Arthur Ray, promising to help people achieve both spiritual and financial wealth for an exorbitant price, Ray held an improperly conducted sweat lodge ceremony in an erroneously constructed lodge that ended in three dead and 19 hospitalized. Increasingly, people from all nations hunger to reconnect with the earth, and rightfully so. If we don't return to the circle of life and the balance to be found there, it would appear our days are numbered. Unfortunately, many of us have been disconnected for so long, we can't tell the difference between information coming from the earth and that from our triggering, patterns, and ego. We desperately need tried and true ceremonial methods with reliable checks and balances to assure clear information and alignment. 
There has been and continues to be horrendous injustice and abomination perpetrated on, upon indigenous peoples worldwide. From slavery to genocide, human history is steeped in cruelty and discrimination. The ancestral damage runs deep with seemingly no solutions in sight. Yet, no one owns the wind. And if we don't stop peeing on the lodgepole, transcend our differences, and realign with life, our continuation as a species is definitely in question. With us to delve into this controversial dilemma is Peggy Ayers, author of Ancient Spirit Rising, Reclaiming Your Roots and Restoring Earth Community. Peggy's work is a survey on the interface between First Nations and the settler societies and the vital recovery of our ancestral earth-connected knowledge. Her website, stonecirclepress.com. Peggy, thanks so much for joining us on The Science of Magic. Oh, I'm happy to be here. What's your background training that prepared you to write this book? Well, I live in a part of the um, <clears throat> country. I live in Canada and Ontario, and there's a lot of First Nations in our vicinity, so I've been very blessed uh, to have that proximity over the years. I live near Trent University. There's a large Indigenous studies program there. And the starting point, I think, for my book was hearing First Nations people um, talking about the cultural appropriation that was happening in my own area and in other parts of the Americas. So I started to see that syndrome more clearly. It was happening in the New Age um, world around me in the self-empowerment uh, transformational industry and in so many other places. So I started to pay more attention to that. And then my book came out of that observation. And then my book went off into so many other directions. But cultural appropriation was definitely the starting point. Would you mind, uh, for our listeners, what exactly is cultural appropriation? Well, I think to really simplify it, a good guideline, you can look at the culture you belong to, and then you can look at the culture that's being appropriated from. And if they're on an uneven, um, um, if one of those societies is oppressing the other, then it turns into cultural appropriation. If a, both of those cultures are kind of like on an even uh, playing field, shall we say, then it would probably just be a case of cultural sharing. But here in the Americas, there's definitely a dominant society. It's called. Well, um, we're going to have to go deeper into this subject <laughs> on the other yeah. side of a, of a commercial <laughs> break. Yeah. So Peggy and I will return shortly. Don't you go away. This could get good. <laughs> You're listening to The Science of Magic. Our current episodes are aired daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net. In service to our listeners, prior innovative episodes can always be accessed free of charge on our website, thescienceofmagic.net. The Science of Magic is proud to be produced by Relmar McConnell Media Company, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365.
Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Peggy Ayers, author of Ancient Spirit Rising, Reclaiming Your Roots and Restoring Earth Community. Her website, stonecirclepress.com. Peggy, we were just starting in the process of defining cultural appropriation when we had to take a break. Would you mind going back into that for me? Yes, I was that every person in the Americas who comes from a European background, we're new to this uh, continent, you know, to the Americas. We belong to the dominant society. So uh, even though we weren't around at the time that our ancestors arrived here, we are still part of that dominant group that, you know, we were the settler colonials, so to speak. So the people that were oppressed on Turtle Island were uh, the indigenous people. So there's a, a definite separation between a dominant society and a subordinate society. So there is no cultural exchange, any kind of um, use of that um, indigenous people's uh, spiritual or cultural property uh, would come under cultural appropriation because it's an extension of settler colonialism. First, uh, our ancestors came here, they, were, they took over the land, uh, then the resources, and in the final step of genocide directed toward First Nations, the whole agenda would be to um, assume the identity of the First Nations people. So it isn't a harmless, even less harm, harmless than we think it is, right? So you're... Ray, that is like the furthest extension of uh, colonialism when you can actually assume a Native identity. Well, actually, he didn't assume a Native identity. I'm sorry, he just had the sweat lodge ceremony. But people like Lynn Andrews, there's, there's a whole string of people that actually assumed First Nations identity, even though they're not First Nations. So that's the furthest on the continuum of cultural appropriation, and that is the most harmful. Well, but is it cultural appropriation for the natives to practice Christianity? No, because that's, it's not possible to do reverse cultural appropriation because that's just called adapting to a dominant society. They're okay, in a subordinate so, position. No matter what they do, they're still oppressed people, right? They're still okay, in the minority. So, so is this based on our lineage? Is this, you know, as people currently present alive, is whether we're culturally appropriating or not based on our lineage? No, it's based on the fact that we belong to a white dominant society. Okay, well, I've got I got a schizophrenic I got a schizophrenic problem here. You're going to have to help me with. Okay, I'm part Cherokee, part Lakota, and part Irish. Should I just shoot right. myself now? What? Ah, you're you're that's a fantastic combination. So definitely to claim those um, First Nations parts of your heritage, and that puts you in a, a totally different um, you know framework, shall we say? So it's not possible to appropriate from your own culture. I guess in your situation, what the challenge is to um, find communities that um, are willing to accept people that haven't been there from the beginning. This is what I hear from a lot of people that, are, that have different backgrounds they're finding out about. You know, you just can't walk into a Cherokee or Lakota community and say, oh, hi, you know, I'm... Yeah, I'm redheaded. That's I'm not going to work real right? well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's a little bit of a, a challenge, but it's all about community at that level. But you still can't deny your own heritage. It's very confusing for a lot of people today, I believe, because there's a lot of oh, really yes. well-meaning people that have a mixed heritage. They don't, maybe they don't even know what it is. Who really knows who our daddy was, right? Yeah, and Exactly. And the time is demanding that we return to our roots, not just our roots, but the Earth's roots, so that we can find balance. How, how do we rectify this dilemma? Yeah, and it comes from such a good place, and people's hearts are in the right place, and we do need to turn to Indigenous knowledge. It is, you know, definitely the way that, um, you know, we're going to go forward as a human race. You know, I love that whole idea of going back at the same time as you're going forward, and how I named my book Ancient Spirit Rising. So there's just so many elements that we can um, bring into our lives today. You know, we, we are modern people, but there are so many ways to, uh, to incorporate different ways of thinking, different ways of living, and it's a really exciting movement. It's kind of still in its infancy. And what I would say is to find those elements from your genuine background, you know, and then you don't have to be involved with cultural appropriation in any way. I'm a Scottish Gael by heritage. 
I'm just learning about my own culture because I'm eighth generation Canadian. But, you know, the trail is pretty cold at this point, but I do, you know, there are a lot of markers for me to go back and reclaim that heritage. So that's really exciting is this ancestral work. We don't know what to appropriate from anybody. Well, you know, here's here's another interesting question is uh, we, we don't know who the original peoples were, right? <laughs> if you go back far <laughs> enough, we all had the same mommy and we all had the same daddy, you know? And I don't know how it got so messed up. I don't think any of us really know. But didn't the information originally come from the earth? Because I know as I work shamanically and I don't appropriate anybody's ceremonies, I work from the things that they all have in common. And mm-hmm. you'll find that in my Celtic heritage. You'll find it in my Native American heritage. There's certain things that all shamanic practices, and that's mm-hmm. different than Native spirituality, okay? All shamanic practices had in common. There's mm-hmm. a shamanic root at the base of every nationality, okay? Yes. And mm-hmm. there's so much in common that it had to have come from the same place. And my suspect is that same place as the earth. Mm-hmm. So if we are reconnecting with the earth to get the information we need to move forward, Mm-hmm. and it looks like something that somebody's done before, how does that keep us out of hot water? Yes, well, I, I think it comes down to having that ethical code or, you know, some kind of moral compass. If, if we're so in love with indigenous spiritualities, and then we hear from the indigenous people that are living all around us that they're offended, that they're hurt, you know, that they're upset, that this is, you know, they're struggling just to reclaim their small sense of self-identity because it was so stripped away from them, you know, being raised in a residential school, being adopted into a white family. So all of the white people that are kind of into this, at the same time that First Nations, who are the practitioners of a lot of this knowledge, just here on Turtle Island, I'm only talking about Turtle Island, so it is a real interference, and it is, you know, we have to understand how offensive, you know, some of these practices are to our First Nations brothers and sisters. Would and you, do we would really, you mind? Do we really want to create more harm? Do we really want to, you know, continue the colonial process? So it comes down to personal ethics, I believe. Would you mind describing... Um Clearly, you know, so so we got pe- people out there listening. They're going, gee, I don't want to do that. But what does that look yeah. like? What are we taking? What are we stealing? What are we doing? Where's the line? Yeah, so I think that you can be informed by nature. I practice animism. I take my cues from the natural world. You know, I am um, interacting with nature spirits. And this is my work, and I do it every single day. But I don't use the cultural markers of the people, you know, that came before. Uh, what are those before? What are My those markers? Came. I'm sorry? What are those cultural markers? Oh, there are cultural markers or things like, you know, the sweat lodge. That's not something in my own tradition. Uh, smudging with um, the abalone shell and, uh, you know, the smudge mixture. That's not in my own tradition. So there's a lot of things that we just take for granted, like the talking stick. That is not in my own tradition. So, you, you know, you take a really good look at some of these things like dream catchers and so on. They are not from our own traditions, really. And I know you're talking about this universality, but there are tremendous differences as well. And this diversity usually forms the groundwork or the roots of that particular indigenous society. And it, they do have a right to actually claim ownership on some of these practices and these spiritual objects and they can say they actually belong to us you know the high to have their own distinct ceremonies and cultural practices so i hear what you're saying about universality but at the time i do think that the uh, traditions are extremely different yeah actually i'm not i don't come from a universality place um there's this um uh, uh, scientifically proven, or at least mathematically proven, <laughs> mathematically proven um, theory that says that the the present uh, is created equal parts from the past and the future. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so we see the hurts and the wounds of the past. Mm-hmm. How can we reach to the future to find a third option? Because this squabbling is getting ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I certainly see where um, it's hurtful to first tell them they can't have their own practice. I mean, you know, I have ancestors that were in the orphanages and treated with DDT uh, right. for, you know, I mean, I've, I've, I've got that kind of heritage in there. And, yes. and, and 
uh, to, to first be almost murdered. It, it was clear in the 70s. You weren't even allowed to practice your own religion. And yeah. now having the New Age mm-hmm. people go off half-cocked. Yeah, well, that's the problem. That's why I wrote my book. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, so tell me, um, how are we going to get an Earth-based connection uh, without appropriation? Yes, well, I think, you know, that two-row wampum or the, um, this model is wonderful. It came out of the Haudenosaunee tradition and, it's, um, and, and the Anishinaabe, and it's the two canoes going downstream, and the one culture is um, sovereign in the one canoe, and the other culture is, you know, self-sufficient in their canoe. They're going down the same river, but they're respecting each other, and neither one is trying to get in the other's canoe. Wonderful um, metaphor, and I think if we can, as white people, we really need to work hard to reclaim our own ancestral identity. I think that's the key to everything here. If we can really get solidified in our own identity, then a lot of these problems wouldn't be happening. It's just that as white people, we're so used to jumping all over the place, and consumerism has really fed into that. Oh, you know, today I can go get a book on Reiki, or next week I'm going to go and study the ancient Peruvian crystal skulls, and we just jump, you know, from one thing to another constantly. But if you could just settle down and sort of, you know, pick a particular heritage, or, you know, if we have many, say we're from like four or five different European countries, you have to actually settle on one, and then just sort of delve into our own ancestry. And I think that's how we're going to become, you know, strong in our own um, cultural roots and our own connection to the earth. And we will all also gain the respect of other First Nations people as we're doing that. You know, Peggy, it's that's like such a circle a... of indigeneity. We're not being kept out of the circle of indigenous knowledge. We just have to come into it, you know, a little more stronger in our own tradition. And then we'd be welcome at that sacred fire. So so beautifully put, because the mm-hmm. dabbling is what's causing the problem, is yeah, people just right. taking a little from here, a little from there, yeah. and there's no grounding to it, and it can be very mm. damaging and misrepresenting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. and I think New Agers, they sort of end up mistaking that materialism uh, for the spiritual path itself, and it isn't a spiritual path. A spiritual path is something that takes, you know, a lifetime to, to, to perfect, and you would spend maybe 30 years just on one thing, whether it be tarot cards or, you know, whatever it happens to be, you really have to spend a lot of time perfecting it, so. Yeah, it seems like that's kind of where we took a left turn, is mistaking mm-hmm. the practice for the goal. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I see that a lot, don't, don't we? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, we, we've so lost sight of of what's really, really possible if you mm-hmm. really commit yourself to a practice, like you say, and the closer yeah. it is to your original practice, the better, that we're wired that way. Exactly. That's yeah. totally what my whole book's about. So Fantastic. You're Fantastic. brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that would be you. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> no, you, you hit it, though. <laughs> well, we're going we to have this orphan syndrome, too, as, uh, as uh, white people. We're going like, to have to take it. Where's our heritage? And it's just... Peggy, we're going to have to take a quick break here. <laughs> Peggy and I will return to our discussion on the other side of this break, so don't go away. We're coming to you through the Exxon Broadcast Network. Don't miss the other fine shows and hosts on xzbn.net. You're listening to The Science of Magic, your resource for creative solutions in a changing world, thescienceofmagic.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net.
Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Peggy Ayers, author of Ancient Spirit Rising, Reclaiming Your Roots, and Restoring Earth Community. Her website, stonecirclepress.com. Peggy, what do you see as the result of our losing our Earth connection in the first place? Oh, <laughs> that's a quite a large question. I think that it's been happening since the rise of Christianity 2,000 years ago. I think the idea of Christianity was um, that the human being became the top of this great chain of beings. So we were like the only being on the planet that had you know, great intellectual abilities and so on and so forth. And I think it came up to the modern times, that same ideology through science. So instead of indigenous people who feel that they are part of the interconnected web, you know, they're neither above this great chain of being nor below it, they're, they're part of it. So that um, interconnected reality makes the human more of a um, nurturer of, and um, respect, we respect nature and ceremony is part of our role to ensure that continuation of nature. But we've lived in a society for the last 2,000 years that's completely the reverse. So you have human beings dominating the natural world, uh, dominating each other, and then with the rise of racial or race theory, which created racism, that gave people um, sort of the empowerment to um, enslave uh, people of color and also to, you know, what happened in the Americas with the genocide of the indigenous people. So they're two completely, you know, people say that Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply. Stop, stop, stop. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days guaranteed and right now you can get started for just one dollar text the word grade to 323232 right now hooked on phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun and everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day for more than 30 years hooked on phonics has been the proven learn to read program that kids love to use text grade to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days guaranteed text grade to 323232 right now and get started for just one dollar text grade to 323232 now text grade to 32 32 32 there's similarities between the western mind and what i call indigenous mind but it's really 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 different there's there's not a lot of commonalities between the two so um how can we hope to return to nature-based ways in our, with our shrinking habitat it's full of cities and technologies you know we we really what's, what's the solution there i think that there's not like one solution, but there's a, a whole range of movements addressing the problem, you know, the permaculture movement, transition towns, sustainability, all these things, you know, part of elements of getting back to an earth-connected society. So there are so many wonderful things happening right now. We just have to hope that it trickles more into, you know, the mainstream society, people that are in love with um, their fancy cars and having these capitalist enterprises and sort of, you know, being in love with the whole idea of empire. There's quite a difference between people that have sort of become awake and aware to, oh, this system isn't really working anymore. We can't really be doing that anymore. You know, capitalism has sort of, you know, there's, there is an end point. It, it can't go forever. So the economic model is quite flawed because it's based on the idea that resources are infinite, whereas there is, you know, an end point. So there's so many, you know, delusional ideas that have created the society we live in, and yet, you know, many of us are actually, you know, we're waking up. There's just this huge groundswell of people that are starting to see the alternative. So there's a lot of hope right now. I, I think there is, too. I mean, we're seeing all sorts of 
just ingenious uh, things. I, oh, yeah. I live, I live off grid, and um, the gentleman that put in my solar for me, he said, well, if you, if you find you need more electricity, don't get more batteries. Get more solar pa- panels. They're guaranteed for 25 years. That's how long they last. It's wow. like, boy, have we come a long way, you know? <laughs> and, and, and there's, you know, the tiny homes. There's all sorts of things that are really Ooh. moving us back, even though there's a lot of us, um, to a way that's a little more user-friendly. Now, you mentioned essential echo cells. What do you mean by that? Oh, I think it's that whole process of reclaiming your own um, indigenous self, that earth-connected self. And there's, you know, a wide range of our behaviors that we can sort of look at more critically. And this is how we can emulate the values of indigenous people. This is um, what is quite interesting. It's not cultural appropriation, but we can certainly learn you know, from indigenous people and the values that they hold. You know, the seven grandfather teachings in the Anishinaabe tradition are, you know, kindness, gentleness, you know, other qualities of the human being, the good qualities that make us, you know, good people. Those are kind of like um, values that we can all learn from. And just that constant, you know, um, reversing back, you know, it's like a course correction every day. You're thinking, okay, do I go off and do something that, you know, is going to be complicit with this system I don't believe in, or am I going to, you know, take an alternative route? And, you know, we're up, that, we're up against that every day. If more and more people make these choices, it will turn out to be a groundswell in the end. That's what we're hoping anyway. <laughs> we're, we're certainly yeah. open for that, because the alternatives <laughs> aren't real pretty, are they? <laughs> exactly. Before climate change really kicks in. So, so, so I'm, <laughs> am I hearing you say, again, it's almost like splitting hairs, that we hmm. can, it's okay to, to look at the teachings and learn from the teachings, just not appropriate the ceremony of our Indigenous people? Well, absolutely. And to claim identity, that is the absolute, you know, um, most reprehensible part of cultural appropriation is to go around... You know, you've created a native name for yourself. Maybe you're calling yourself Flaro, or you, you've seen the whole range of them, right? So then you've created a native identity, and then you're offering ceremony to other people and charging, you know, money for these ceremonies. That's the furthest on the continuum. Using smudge in your own home or wearing moccasins, that's really not cultural appropriation. You're assisting native um, artisans by buying their products. And we're being urged by First Nations to learn about their cultures, too. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we can't just not know. The more we learn about the people that live around us, the Haudenosaunee or the Anishinaabe, the more we learn about their cultures. You know, the better equipped we are to be good neighbors, you know, to come together in a peaceful coexistence. So we do have to learn a tremendous amount about First Nations. But just, you know, don't assume that Native identity and do not um, use their cultural signifiers in your own practice, and you know, do not really feel free to use the ceremonies and rituals uh, as you would offer that to other people in workshops, and you know, charge three thousand dollars. So those, those are the boundaries. You know, there are boundary lines that weren't in place before, and the more people learn about it, then the boundary lines can sort of be put back in place. Okay, so that, that that makes a lot of sense to me. So, what uh, what recommendation do you have for you know your Caucasian people that are really trying to find their roots? They're not sure what they are. Where do we find them? Yes, I think that whole area right now is so exciting. I call it the ancestral arts movement, and you know, find out your own genealogy first. There's so many ways, and we've there's never been a time before in human history where we weren't surrounded by so many sources of information with the internet, you know, incredible libraries, and these new genealogy um, companies are springing up, and it's not expensive now to find out your exact DNA. It's very useful for so many people that come from diaspora or, you know, forced immigration. They don't even know who their ancestors are. Both my grandparents were um, British home children. They came to Canada through you know, a scheme, I, you know, it was sort of, it's coming to light more and more that it was more like a child slavery program than anything, but because of industrialization in Britain, there were so many children living on the streets, the poverty was so rampant, and uh, right at the tail end of the Victorian era, they decided to, you know, Canada was being settled, so they decided to get this program into place that shipped enormous numbers of young children 
uh, to Canada <clears throat> without their parents. So, so, you know, so do you think really you... questionable about, about all that. So those are my ancestors, right? And I really don't right. know really who they were related to because they came here sort of as, as orphans. So do you suggest like blood tests or Ancestry.com yeah. or, yeah, you know, yeah. so yeah. we go out, we get a blood test and we go out and get, get a blood test and some of them take you so far back. How do you even find the, you know, the, the ancestry? Oh, well, you were Mongolian way back when, you know, or, or even earlier than that. So is there a kind that you suggest that'll give you a little more detailed information where we still have a chance of, of accessing the, the, the practices of our ancestors? Yes, it's really exciting. I mean, the Ancestry.com and the Ancestry123, they don't go back far enough. They give you the choice of matrilineal DNA or the, um, you know, the father line. There's different DNAs. But the one company that takes you back in time, I had my DNA sent in. It's really quite expensive, but I think it's really well worth it because they take your cultural group. They match it with the archaeology that's been done all over the planet. So they match your DNA with the migration of different peoples, and it's from the Seven Daughters of Eve, uh, the book, that wonderful book that came out by Brian Sykes. And then he formed a company called Oxford Ancestors, and that's how I had my DNA tested, and it placed me in a cultural group going back 36,000 years. Oh, good grief. Well, how do you find the practices? These are my, you know, Neolithic ancestors, so you can't get any more indigenous than that. Right, but how do you find what practices they had? And yeah, that's well, okay, well, then there. you turn to the historical record and mythology and archaeology offers us so much, so much information, so you have to really do quite a bit of study. And people are doing it, you know, there's so much information right now. Yeah, well, you know, you remember the old game of telephone where a line of people, people line up and they'd whisper in each other's ear and pass down a phrase? Oh, and, right, yeah. And, and really? five, or six, five or six people later, they'd say what the phrase was and compare oh, right. it to the first one that started it. And the meaning had totally changed. Oh, so right. <laughs> if, if that's the, if, you know, you see it all the time. So if that's the case, and I know how important um, oral tradition is, but hasn't once we go down that many thousands of years, hasn't the ancestral wisdom been polluted and misinterpreted as it's been handed down? And how do we deal with that? Yeah, I think that does just become such a long extension of time, doesn't it? I think that's where our own ancestral memories come into play, which I truly believe in, that we hold things, you know, deep inside us, in our, you know, at the cellular level even. So if we have a dream or, you know, visions, there's ways to, um, to encourage that work and to meet with ancestors in dreams and visions. This is such an exciting area uh, to delve into. Also, your imagination. You know, sometimes we have to recreate uh, different cultural practices and with that attitude of sacredness toward the earth and bringing in the local ecosystem where you happen to live now, I don't think that you're going to be faulted. No one is going to ever say you cannot access your own heritage. So it's quite exciting. So it's a combination of sort of ancestral memory, dream work, and... um, imagination you're going to have to recreate you know quite a bit of it i think well how about moving forward how about we find the principles that all of the practices used and use them to create new traditions yes i think that is going to be something that will happen and you know let's face it we've been we have lost so much that you you said splitting hairs earlier i think you're so absolutely right it's going to come to the point where you know, things are going to have to come together and it's going to have to be, you know, an acceptable practice and it's going to be done in a good way. And I think, you know, we're just going to have to accept that. Like without, you know, getting all political about it, at some point we're just going to have to sort of put the, put the politics aside. You know, time is short here, people. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to have to take another commercial break. So Peggy and I will be back shortly, so don't leave us now. This is the Science of Magic, your resource to altruistic professionals of science and the esoteric, working to create common ground for the betterment of our world. Join our email family to receive our amazing topic-driven episode collections at thescienceofmagic.net, and don't miss the other shows on xzbn.net. There's some new exciting ones, so tune in and listen.
This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. What's up in your world? Email me at info at thescienceofmagic.net and suggest a topic or a guest that's on your mind. You're probably not the only one that would enjoy listening to it. Our guest this hour is Peggy Ayers, author of Ancient Spirit Rising, Reclaiming Your Roots and Restoring Earth Community. Her website, stonecirclepress.com. Peggy, you speak of uh, the recovery of our authentic ancestral wisdom, and yet we're talking about whales. <laughs> we may or may not be able to find that uh, this, this far down the road. Uh, so what, what exactly do you mean by our authentic ancestral wisdom? Oh, I just think, think simply that means that it is something in your own heritage, and I know that's really complicated. It's quite a challenge for uh, us as European derived people because, you know, there can be so many different combinations. Uh, my DNA turned out to be just one particular Celtic group. And, you know, you just have to have your DNA tested, I think, and go from there. So once we do that, and mm-hmm. um, we were talking about the difficulty of sometimes the, the practices have been lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were saying there are ways to use our imagination to reconnect how is that valid? How how does that work? Well, I mean, that is going way, way back, you know, to a time when there wasn't even nation states in Europe. But there's always been a threat of paganism throughout our European history. And these um, revival movements are really, really, you know, strong today. There's Nordic paganism. There's the Celtic Reconstruction Movement. There is, you know, traditions that are for people... Um, in countries like Poland and so on, Poland and so on, I can provide links to all of these amazing, you know, cultural new cultural revival movements that are happening. And we do have um, Celtic Reconstruction here in the Americas. We have Nordic paganism, and it's just a matter of uh, learning uh, where these groups are located. You know, with the internet, there's so much going on on Facebook and, and so on. There's a wealth of information now available. All kinds of books have been published in Druidry. You know, if your tradition is more like the Avalon tradition in, um, you know, Welsh and English uh, traditions. So there's just a wealth of information. And really, you know, there is no excuse really right now for not learning about your own, um, you know, wisdom traditions because there is just so much information you can hardly not... um, you know, go go into this exciting movement. There's just so much yeah, going and, on. And and you know what what it brings to me is this this piece of authenticity. Um, and and there was in, in a lot of different teachings I've run across um, how each of us were cast to the four corners of the world. And when mm-hmm. we plead, if any of us doesn't stand in our authenticity and hold our piece of the information, and isn't that part of what's going on now? Is being able to bring our piece back rather than try to uh, take on someone else's. 
Yes, and I know it's really, really challenging work because, you know, we've been so disconnected from a specific ethnocultural group. And even as white people, we don't even see the need for ethnicity anymore. You know, we think that our heritage is something called Canada or, you know, the USA, but those are not really true uh, cultures. They're actually great big nation states, you know. So this is how challenging and, and so difficult this work can actually be. But I think in the years to come, we're going to see a lot more of small uh, bioregional um, developments, you know, like the small village model and sort of people coming together in intentional communities. I really see that as a, a wonderful movement. And if they're aligned with a specific ethnicity, that's good. But if, you know, if they're not, you know, that's probably good, too. So there's all kinds of different ways to do this work. Yes, we definitely have to move forward and quit squabbling about backwards. <laughs> so you speak yeah. of a you speak of a paradigm shift. Would you go into that a little for us? Yes, I think that uh, the whole you know rejection of how we see that um, you know capitalism and all the destruction of the earth is really re- reaching a real you know all time dangerous point. So sort of shifting back and moving away from that precipice, I call it, that we've reached this you know, really, really dangerous point in human history. So the paradigm shift, you know, is basically coming from, you know, so many different movements. Wasn't there a book that came out and said there was something like, you know, a million just organizations in the U.S. alone that are based on, you know, sustainability? So I see so many things as being part of the paradigm shift. You you can see it everywhere these days. We just have to, you know, reach the critical mass, right? Yeah, and it doesn't take that many, from what I understand, if you think about the 100th monkey theory. Yeah, I'm not too sure about that. If that was absolutely true, I think things may have happened already. So I'm a little bit iffy about that theory, but <laughs> in, in certain principles, it does work, yes. So what is uh, uh, the decolonization process you've been talking about in your book? Yes, and I think earlier, before the break, I touched on um, our role, kind of like, I think in the future, a good thing to really look at, too, is we do have to combine, you know, a political or social justice activism with our spiritual path. I think this is extremely important uh, to, to be doing right now, to get involved with the political process. We're kind of stuck with it. This is the system that we're living in. So you know, to get involved with that, to do, you know, protest work, whether we're marching in the streets or working for anti-racism. You know, I've come to the point where I see all those things as incredibly spiritual. So I think we really have to sort of shift our thinking into what is it we can actually do to support the liberation of, you know, other people. It goes all the way, you know, through the intersectional oppressions to, you know, even speciesism, which is the liberation of you know, animals and earth community, which has also been oppressed. So, I mean, there's just so much um, work we can be doing right now in social justice, and I don't see that as inseparable from a spiritual path. I think the two are really, really, you know, connected, and I just wanted to sort of throw that in there. I don't think I answered your question, but <laughs> I just wanted to say that was re- that's really important. So, you know, this your work is, is, is very... Um all-encompassing, like you say, it went a lot of different directions. Where did you get the education? What's the background you came from to be able to write it? I know when the book got going, it was like one thing led to another and led to another, and it was just, you know, my own scholarship. I've, I've been um, a writer and a reader all these years. I, I call myself a deprofessionalized learner because I have no real, you know, academic credentials. I probably... Um, you know, should have gone through higher education, got a PhD. I'm kind of glad in a way that um, I don't have a lot of academic credentials because it gives me a lot more freedom. So people I see that are like stuck with a PhD in a certain thing, they sort of have to stay in that, you know, particular knowledge stream. And I'm just a free spirit. I just sort of jump all over the place. But then that being the case, um, <laughs> you know, how, how can you be confident in what you're sharing if, if you don't have the background? Oh, it's thoroughly researched. Like, my book has been accepted at the local university here. Like, it's just through good research. My book is completely nonfiction. There's a couple of poems in the book. So it's, it's a heavily researched uh, book of contemporary social justice theory. Um, everything is right up to date in the book. There's 620 footnotes, and it's all a complete synthesis of movements, 
you know, um, academic theory, everything that's like happening out there, I touched on most of those um, movements are, are itemized in my book. You know, plus well, my own thinking, of course, is what a scholar does. You have to, you know, add in your own analysis. So there's um, quite a lot of that as well. Did you? Were there libraries that you researched found this stuff at? I mean, it's not easy to find. Oh my gosh! Yes, it took three years to write this book. It was sent time to the university library. I did a lot of research online. Uh, the bibliography at the back of the book is forty pages. Wow! Yeah, so that is like gigantic, and that's kind of like the librarian in me coming out. Yeah. So you, you're a librarian. Are you a librarian? My inner librarian. No. Oh, your inner librarian. Got it. Got yeah. it. Got it. You know, and again, it's been reviewed you know, by people with PhDs and, and they find absolutely no fault with the book. So, I mean, you don't have to have a credential these days to write a, a good researched, you know, piece of um, literature. You can do it without the credentials, believe me. <laughs> So I encourage uh, everyone, don't worry about having a credential or not. Just go and start writing. So what, what do you do when, uh, in, your, in your real life? Uh, do you have a profession? I'm just promoting my book right now. That's my full-time mind. I was a visual artist prior to that and a curator. I sort of flipped from being um, a full-time creative person to being a full-time writer. This has happened in the last eight years or so. Well, we've got a little bit of time left, and I'd kind of like, you know, going forward, um, what about personal responsibility of the individual? I mean, we can all go wham, 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 my, your people did this to my people and blah, blah, blah. But what, what about personal responsibility and moving forward? How about we get over it and move forward already? What, what's to stop that? Well, I really think that it isn't up to us as non-Native people to, you know, um, Set the, set the tone for how First Nations are going to go through their own healing. You know, if it takes them 30 years or it takes them another 100 years, you know, those are the people that were affected by settler colonialism that came from our own, you know, background. That is what we have to struggle with. You know, I'm not saying we need to be guilty about it. Guilt only implies you actually, you know, did something. We weren't there at the time when our ancestors came here and, you know, did all these horrible things, but... I do think today we have to have that responsibility. I think it's our generation that somehow has to, you know, make amends for this damage. And I think we really have to pay attention to First Nations. We have to work in allyship to make sure that. Well, you know, I'm sorry, but rights are honored, and so it's I hard to, be- really have to It's hard to believe. Active. It's hard to believe we're out of time, but we are. Peggy, thanks so much for coming on the show. Our guest this hour has been Peggy Ayers, author of Ancient Spirit Rising: Reclaiming Your Roots and Restoring Earth Community. Her website, stonecirclepress.com. This has been the Science of Magic. Join our email family to be the first to receive our thought-provoking, topic-driven episode collections at thescienceofmagic.net. Until next time, dear ones, may you be blessed with knowledge and comforted with love as you uncover your ancestral knowledge.